All right. Well, uh, tonight we're going to start with Exodus. And we spent the last, uh, boy, in this class about a year and a half or so, I think, going through um, the book of Genesis. And just just to kind of bring new people up to speed here, what what we're doing here is we're looking at the Old Testament as what I really believe the only thing it was ever meant to be, which is a testimony of um, of of God's eternal purpose in His Son and our our involvement in that purpose. Now, uh, again, for 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 new folks, that may be a uh, seem like a quite a statement to say that that's what that's the only thing the Old Testament was was meant to be. But I, I although I believe certainly that the stories are true, the history is real, the events were act, actually happened. Um, I believe that the Lord, and, and that's what we're doing in this class. But I, I believe that the Lord put these things in Scripture, recorded these things, preserved these things as for a very specific reason. Jesus says it. In John five thirty nine, these are they which testify of me, and he says that elsewhere, and sort of in Luke twenty four, and elsewhere, and so do the apostles over and over and over again. In fact, when you're when you're talking about the Exodus, um, Paul says explicitly in, in what is it, First Corinthians ten, uh, that uh, speaking specifically of the Exodus, Paul says uh, that these things were written for our admonition as warnings or, or uh, you know, figures um, upon whom the end of that age, the age of types and shadows, the age of natural um, pictures and, and um, foreshadows of spiritual realities that have now come, those things were written for our benefit upon whom the end of that age has come. And so... Uh, we're not. It, it sounds strange to me these days to say to, to almost to try to have to defend the idea of understanding the Old Testament as a testament because just the more I read it, the more uh, I, I I am convinced that that's why we have it. God put it in our hands because He spent hundreds of years, thousands of years creating a testimony that the Spirit of God could use to reveal a reality that we have come to. That's why it's there. And so, you know, we've looked at, we've looked at Genesis and we've, we've seen that, that this book of Genesis has been an incredible testimony of, of Christ. And when I say testimony of Christ, I don't just mean descriptions of the man, the Nazarene, who uh, was born of the Virgin and died on the cross. Although there are some testimonies of that aspect of the life of Christ, there are not many compared at all to, there's, there's, there's very, very few compared to the testimonies of God's eternal purpose in Christ, God's kingdom in Christ, God's uh, the, the new body of Christ, the corporate body of Christ, the relationship that God established with a people in Christ, the 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 thing that is cut off from that relationship, the thing that is grafted into that relationship. The, the, when we talk about types and shadows of Christ, we're not talking about types and shadows of of Christ, the uh, 
the, the man who died uh, principally, we're talking about types and shadows of Christ, the life, the resurrection, the the light of a of a new city, the 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 end of one man, the judgment of the world, the resurrection of a new corporate body. The, I mean, we're talking about Christ, the the city, the place to live, the, the everything that that. Christ is in his resurrection. Now, of course, he came, he came to die first. He came to gather up into himself, as we're going to see in this book of Exodus. He gathered up into himself a whole people. They all went into the, they all went into the blood-covered door. They all went into that home, into that death, and partook of that death themselves. That's why he came, um, to the world to bring a people into the judgment of God and then bring those who are of faith out of death bring them out of that one side that side of judgment that side of death condemnation through that blood covered door out into a relationship of union a relationship I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. And that's what this book is about. That's what Exodus is about. It's not about God uh, getting a special natural people out of a particularly bad situation. You know, there were hundreds, probably thousands of people groups at that same time period in bad situations under harsh uh, persecution or slavery or whatever. This isn't just that God looked around the earth and found a people that were in a in a real you know bind and and said you know what I, I'm going to help these people and then I'm going to record it so everyone knows that I'm nice and and good and powerful no that's not what's going on here there was all kinds of oppression and problems and slavery in in the world at this time God God recorded this event not not so that people would see that. You know, he was really nice to the Israelites back in those days, and he'll be really nice to you too, if you do these four steps or whatever. No, that's not it. God is recording this story and working in this story, and, and he says so so many times for for a very specific reason. It is a testimony. It is something we should read and understand the way that it pointed to something far greater. Maybe God worked in a thousand other places and nations and people's lives to bring them out of bad situations too, but this one is recorded because it is with the seed of Abraham, that represents another seed to come, a spiritual seed, those who are joined to him who is the seed, Christ, Galatians chapter 3, and it parallels the the bringing out of a, a people out of a very specific condition through a very specific way onto a very specific relationship. Now, that's the that's the important part. And unfortunately, in, in the body of Christ today, those are the things we don't really understand or really care about. We don't really ask the question. We're going to get into this in a little bit here, but we don't really ask the question: What was the condition that they were brought out of? What it, what what is this the nature of our <clears throat> excuse me our slavery? 
And, and, and how did God bring them out? You know, he could have waved a magic wand and just picked them up and plopped them down in the promised land if he wanted to, but he did it a very specific way. You know, he could have just spoke a word and lightning would have just killed all the Egyptians and they could have just taken over Egypt. Why not do that? Because there's something very specific. He could have also killed everyone in Egypt and he left them alive. He could have, I mean, he left some of them alive at least. He killed the firstborn and then he killed the, he drowned the army there in the Red Sea. But the, Egypt kept on going. Why did that happen? Why, and why, why did he have to make them go into a dead lamb? You know, eat a dead, eat the, eat the hooves and the intestines of a dead lamb. I mean, it says that. They, they, this wasn't supposed to be like a pleasant meal where they all sat around and sang kumbaya. This was a gross eating of the entire animal with bitter herbs and, and unleavened bread and doing it with their sandals on their feet and their, and their loins girded, ready to leave as though eating that lamb was leaving their former condition. Now, the pictures there are remarkable. And, 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 and you know what? They're strange unless we see that the real reason that God did it a specific way was because of what it was pointing to. And we need to see, we need to let the Spirit of God open the eyes of our heart to see what these things were pointing to, or we're just going to well, we're just going to do what what people do so often, and that's just read these stories and say, "What a well, God works in mysterious ways, you know." No, they're 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 mysteries under the old covenant, but they're revealed in the new. That the, the mysterious ways of the old are the 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 things revealed in Christ as Christ in the new. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, but. The Spirit of God has revealed unto us, and so that's what we're doing here. And we and we looked at, um, you know, we spent, uh, like I said, a long time in, in Genesis. And and I don't know if you remember back the very in the very beginning, one of the first classes we did in the types and shadows um, classes had to do with what I understood to be and understand to be kind of three major themes or groups or. Um, I don't know, three kind of like umbrella, umbrella categories of types and shadows in, in the old, um, covenant, each having to do with uh, a picture of Christ that fell short of his image and then, uh, a judgment that came on all that fell short and then uh, basically a solution or a restoration of that image. And 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 I, I put that, well, there's a couple different diagrams I used to, I might put put those up uh, on the uh, on the web website with this audio so you can take a look at those. But for those who are listening to this, um, but... I talked about the 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 first. Um, in fact, take a look at this diagram here. Um, it is it's it's kind of a strange diagram, but there's these ugly people, uh, are, are messed up <laughs> uh, stick figure on the left side of the crosses. And then there's a nice stick figure on the right side of the crosses. There's three main categories, and then the whole thing's put away and replaced by this one big nice stick figure and. <laughs> 
Um, and 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 it, again, if you're listening to this online, you might want to just click on the on the uh, the uh, diagram to 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 see what what I'm talking about here. But my point is that the three there's these three main categories. The first one that you saw in in, in part of Genesis was there was a man, there was a a seed, Adam. Who 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 believed the lie? Who ate the lie? Who became the lie? And that man uh, was created to be a testimony of him who was to come. He was created to bear that image and likeness. Um, and boy, do people do strange things with that phrase. The, that man was made in the image and likeness of God. We we basically use that phrase to 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 glorify ourselves in so many different ways. But but the 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 reason that Adam was made in the image and likeness of of God was to testify of the one who is the actual substance of God, Christ Himself, and a new in a new creation in Him. And and he lost that image, by the way. He he lost it right away. He didn't hang on to it. We we don't we don't uh, still naturally bear that image and likeness. That's that was com- completely corrupted, and and that's what the fall is all about. You know, we fell from that image and likeness. We fell from that purpose. We lost the ability to testify of him who was to come, because rather uh, than than eat the tree of the of, of life, rather than be uh, a, a vessel of the life of another, we we ch- chose to. Well, what we thought we were choosing was to to basically be a source unto ourselves, but we found out that 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 ultimately is impossible. We became a vessel for another nature. We became slaves to sin. We became sons of um, the devil. We became, as Jesus says in John chapter 8, we became um, <clears throat> instruments that uh, of unrighteousness or the, the spirit who works in the sons of disobedience. That's that's what we became. And and so man lost that image. And, and that's what I'm trying to show in this diagram, this, this weird squiggly man here is Adam having lost the image of Christ. And then there's this great judgment that comes to that man, destroys that seed, at least in a pictorial way. Uh, it's the flood. So the flood is this big first picture of the cross where all of that man is gathered up and put away in one man, and those who are joined to him um, go into that death and come out the other side on top of, you know, raised up and seated on the mountain and out comes the the new creation under a new covenant offering fragrances that God is pleased with and God no longer relating to the flesh and all that that we looked at. So that's that was the first picture and, and then God starts to deal, that didn't actually solve the problem, it just painted a picture of the solved problem because right away after that is the Tower of Babel and you see that the nature of man hasn't really changed. And and so God, there's this other picture that starts to emerge, and that's of a new seed. God begins in the midst of this corrupt Adamic world um, that once again gets filled up with uh, the 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 lie or the the fallen man. Um, God begins to speak of an, another seed that is coming, and He paints His pictures, the whole. You know the, the his dealings with Abraham. It's like this this awesome canvas upon which he begins to 
paint a new picture, another view of the cross. And, and, he, and he deals with this seed and this increase that he promises and a land that is going to bear the glory of that seed and the increase of that seed and the victory of that seed and, and the name of that seed. And he begins to talk about that through Abraham and Isaac. And and we've talked about all that too. And I'm just I'm trying to bring it up to bring it us uh, us up to to where Exodus begins here. That seed goes into to Egypt, and for 400 years we have a people. You see a people who are um, who are born in slavery, and 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 God is now going to deal with what I see to be the second huge picture of the cross. And there's lots of little ones, you know, underneath the larger categories, little subcategories here and there with pictures of the cross, certainly. But this one is is a huge picture of of the cross. And it is uh, basically a people being gathered up in the death of the Lamb. You know, it's it's the it's the blood, it's Passover, it's the exodus of Egypt, it's the leaving of uh, one world and coming into another world, and so we have Israel going into death, and Israel coming out um, into a relationship that they don't understand, and then we have God beginning to deal with them about that relationship. That's the that's basically the second category of. Um, I mean, there's just so much involved in this book and in this cat- in this big umbrella category of types and shadows that has to do with the Exodus. There's just so much here. The third one we'll get into a little bit later is when they're already a kind of a corporate people in the land and, and God, um, they, they again have fallen short of the image, uh, that they were meant to carry and God, uh, brings about this incredible third major judgment experience which is also i see a picture of the cross and and various things like resurrection and 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 restoration um uh, the second house and all that and that's with the babylonian babylonian captivity well the assyrian destruction of the northern ten tribes and the babylonian captivity of the judah and benjamin and their restoration to the land and the building of the new temple and all that but we'll get to that one day or one year um what right now we're going to be spending our time looking at the immensity of this second category um and well wow, there's just so much let's let's just actually go just to kind of uh there's a place in genesis where god right in the beginning of his dealings with Abraham, talks about what we're going to be reading about here in Exodus. It's Genesis 15, and, and God is talking to Abraham, and and he's saying to him, you know, you're going to... He's t- talking to him as he as he often does about his, this this promise that uh, of the greatness of the seed and, and this inheritance. And then Abraham says, how... Uh, in Genesis fifteen three, he says, "Look, you've you've given me no seed. How can how can uh, I how can you give me uh, what you're saying if I go childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar? You know this this guy, this servant. And and then God says, okay, I'm going to. And obviously, I'm paraphrasing this, but he says, let me show you kind of how this is going to work. 
And Abraham goes into this, uh, he has him cut, he shows him kind of this, uh, this way, uh, this way made through death where he cuts these animals in, pa- in half and he passes through, he cuts the covenant and he, as it says literally in, in the Hebrew there and, and, and he, but in the midst of this, Abraham, it says in 12, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. That sounds awful. And then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your seed will be... Str-. Now, some translations say descendants here. It's it's the Hebrew word um, seed, singular. And Paul makes a big deal about that in Galatians chapter 3, that when God referenced the seed, he used... He didn't say seeds. He said seed because it's always been one thing in God's mind, and it's it's always been the corporate body. It's always been the one living in the many, not the many living for the one. It's always It's always been the one corporate life, one corporate body of Christ. He as the head, obviously, we as a body, but still um, one one spirit, one faith, one father, all those ones that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4. So anyway, know certainly that your seed will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterwards, and they shall come out with great possessions. And then he says, Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Well, this story that we're about to read, or we're about to get into here in, in, uh, in Exodus, is the story of, a, of God's seed. A seed who, uh, well, a people who who became that seed, I guess you could say, but a people who were born in slavery in in a very specific uh, kind of environment, a slavery to sin and death and hopelessness. It's about that people experiencing this great judgment that God uh, talks about and, and then coming out with great possessions. Now, those possessions, well, that, 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 those great possessions are, are Christ and every conceivable, they're not, it's not talking about, you know, the, the Adamic man getting saved and, and hooked up with the prosperity gospel. It's, it's talking about this people who are dead in sin and slavery coming out into a, relationship with God where wherein Christ is made unto him uh, or made unto that people a temple a relationship a, a high priest a victory uh, I mean everything great possessions we always naturalize that but but that's what Christ is he is the reward he is the great possession for the human soul he's the thing that God is trying to give you and to whatever extent we see him as such we would never want anything outside of that we would never call anything treasure ever call anything prosperity uh, out, uh, outside of of Jesus Christ or separate than Jesus Christ. So, um, anyway, the story begins with a kind of slavery. 
and it and it involves an exodus out of that slavery and an entrance into into a relationship that is unto glory but let's just back up a little bit and 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 maybe in the time that we have left today i i, I don't know how much further i'll get i want to say a few things about this this slavery basically probably this week and and maybe next week too i'm i'm going to kind of um give a a bird's eye view of the book of exodus i like to do that because the details in the old testament can be really overwhelming most of you have probably noticed that that you know you want to read the old testament you want to see christ in the old testament you start reading and 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 the 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 detail it's there's so much there's like make 15 clasps of gold and then a pole that's 18 hand breadths and 14 cubits and this and that and you start reading and and, and um or you know cut open this animal and take the fatty lobe of the liver and burn it over here and drag the flesh over there and sprinkle the blood here and there and then dip a couple little bits of it on Aaron's ear and 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 the the details what I'm trying to say is that the details can can be really overwhelming and confusing and so the the way that the Lord has really helped me with some of those details is first of all to take take a bunch of steps back to like the the outer space view where you're looking down and you're seeing what is it what's the what's the big picture here and then getting kind of a framework or a context for what it is God's trying to show us here just the the real general broad strokes of what God's trying to show us and then the that then the details can be um whether you understand them or not you can see that the details fit within a particular big picture and that's when they do begin to start making sense the when the details you're reading through and, and maybe the first five times you read through some details of some sacrifice it doesn't mean anything you just kind of read through it you you read through another five times over the next few and then all of a sudden you, the lord starts dealing with your heart about some some reality some view of christ and then those details not not only do they fit nicely in inside the big picture that you're seeing, but they also confirm and and and, and just bless your heart in the in the, in the way that um, you see that these 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 details of this sacrifice is bringing to view a work of Christ, a reality of Christ that has become so real to you. And you're so glad they're there. You're so glad that you didn't, you know, rip out that page in your Bible out of boredom the last time you went through it. <clears throat> but so I'm going to be painting with broad strokes here uh, for a week or two with Exodus, and then and then we're going to go back and and start looking at some of the details. One of those big important things that I feel like we need to understand about this story is the nature of our how should i say it, it the, the 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 nature of of slavery the natural condition of slavery part of our problem i think a huge part of our problem in and falling short of knowing and experiencing our salvation the greatness of god's salvation is a total ignorance 
as to the natural condition of the Adamic man. We don't understand our slavery. We have no... We might even say that we're slaves, slaves to sin or whatever, but we don't understand the depth or the reality of that. We're completely... um, We're completely confused about that. And, you know, that's always been the case. You know, if you look back... To, to this natural people in in um, <clears throat> in Exodus, they didn't understand their slavery either. I'm sure there were some things they didn't like about it. There were other things they did like about it. But when they came out from it, looking back, they spoke about it with envy. They spoke about it, longing to go back. They they wished they could go back. They they would have you know daydreams about the leeks and the onions and the garlic and talk about Egypt as though it was a um, you know, like it was Disneyland or something. And, and, and in fact, at, at one point um, in Numbers, let me see if I can pull it up here, they actually said they're, they're, they're complaining to um, Moses after they, they, they refused to go into the land. And uh, let's see here. And, and, and they said, oh, no, here it is in Numbers 16. <clears throat> Number 16, so Moses sent to call, number 16, 12 is where I'm reading. Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come up. And then they say this, is it a small thing, talking to Moses, is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? That you should keep acting, uh, uh, that you should keep acting like a prince over us? And, and, <clears throat> And you see what they're saying here? They're they're talking about Egypt. You know, you've brought us out of this land, out of land flowing with milk and, and honey, to kill us in the wilderness. They're, they're they're calling Egypt a land flowing with milk and honey. Now that's pretty amazing to me. That that they that that was their view of slavery. Looking back, they did not understand. I mean, if you think about what they were doing before they left, they were making bricks without straw, not being able to meet their quota and getting whipped for it. And now they're saying, you brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey. That's <clears throat> that's amazing. But you see, that's that's the way it works with us too. That's the way it was with Jesus when he uh, when he was talking to the Jews. John chapter 8, he says, look, I've come to make you free. And they take, off- they take offense at that. They say, well, make us free. We've never been slaves to anyone. And Jesus says, no, no, you don't understand. I, it's a, it's, and Jesus is talking about the real, the true slavery. He says, anyone who sins is, is, is a slave to sin. And they, they want to stone him. They call him demon-possessed and a Samaritan. They don't understand the nature of their slavery. And because they don't understand the nature of their slavery... They will. Not, they're looking at the person of their of freedom. They're looking at freedom himself, and they're rejecting him who's offering himself to them. Do you see how unbelievably insane that is? They can't recognize freedom standing in front of them. They can't recognize life because they have no idea about their natural condition. They have no idea that they are slaves.
And, and friends, that is exactly what we're doing today. Even though we, 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 even though we will confess in the church that Jesus will make us free and we'll, we'll quote him and, and, and how he makes us free from sin and this and that, we still don't understand the nature of our freedom. We don't understand the nature of our slavery. And so much of the time we stay in slavery and we even call it freedom. We say, look, you know, I'm, I can't, I'm so glad that Christ made me free, and yet sin still lords it over us. Sin is still the master that we are obeying. We don't get it. We don't understand. And, and we're not the first ones to misunderstand this. We're, we're, you know, we're the last ones in a long line of, of people, both in types and shadows and in, and in spirit and truth, that have misunderstood the nature of their slavery. Um, but we need to understand it. We need to see what is Adam enslaved to and how does that slavery work? Well, there's two kinds of slavery. And I've, I've talked about this, I think, well, I definitely talked about it in Costa Rica. I'm not sure if I talked about it in the States. I think I have, but <clears throat> there's two kinds of slavery. And, and one of them is the kind that we usually think about. The, the, the one kind is, is when somebody is making you do something you don't want to do, which is bad, you know. I mean, and that's, you know, when we think about it in, in North America here, we, we think about the, the slave trade, you know, with the, with, uh, the uh, well, starting with the early <clears throat> uh, Europeans that came over and then going uh, all the way to the Civil War and probably a little bit beyond. But... Every country has their own, probably every country, I don't know for sure, but probably has their own history of, of slavery, human slavery, just one, one extent or another. And, and, uh, the, the, um, the thing that kind of defines that slavery is that we're forcing people to do something they don't want to do, right? And, And that's horrible. But there's a worse kind of slavery. Another kind of slavery is when somebody, some the master in this case, is affecting us in such a way that we actually choose to do and want to do what he desires or what he, in, in our case, what he is. You see, there's that, that's that's an even worse situation because you're actually freely, spontaneously choosing the things that are expressive of the will and desire of another. And and that's slavery. At least in the first case, when you're forced to do something you don't want to do, you have your own will, and you realize that your will is contrary to the one who's 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 forcing you to do something else. And that's you know, that's again, that's bad, but at least you have your own will and you can recognize the difference. In the second kind of slavery, your will is enslaved. You see, your will is an expression of the one who is, who, who has mastery over you. And that's, that's even worse. And, and contrary to what humans generally think, we, there is no third, I mean, there is no, there's there's free will. I believe well, it depends how you define these things. There's free will, but there's no absolute freedom. In other words, you can make 
the human being can make all kinds of free decisions that are, you know, totally, again, spontaneous or, or uh, independent. And yet, those spontaneous, free, independent decisions are governed by a nature. The human soul was created to be governed by a nature. And within the context of that nature, it can make all kinds of free decisions, but the, the decisions themselves are going to be expressive of the nature that's governing it. Do you see what I mean? It's kind of like, I think of it uh, sometimes like, a, you know, you're on an airplane and, uh, you know, you're in the air and, and, and you're, there's a, there's a, there's a certain amount of freedom, you know, someone that doesn't exactly know where they are maybe on that airplane could think that they are, they're totally free to do whatever they want. They can get up and, you know, they can sit down. They can take their seatbelt off even when the pastor puts on, uh, pastor, the, 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 the pilot puts on the fasten seatbelt sign and you can rebel against that. You can, you can put your seat back, you know, and your table table tray up or all that stuff you can run to the bathroom you know you can run up and down the aisles you can eat some food you know one of those gross cheese croissant things they give you and you could or you could throw it on the floor there's a lot of there's a lot of freedom you can turn your little fan on your little blower open your window shut it um and you could say man i'm just totally i can do whatever i want but but the person fails to realize that not only are they is all of their freedom limited to the um, to a very small metal tube and, and it's within the context of that metal tube but it's also going a very specific course that you have nothing to say about at 500 miles per hour you know so you're going in a very specific direction aiming at a, a specific thing at a very specific uh, speed and within a very specific little metal tube with wings and so yeah you can make a lot of free decisions but every one of them is going to be within the context of the of the airplane that you're in and the and the and the place that it's heading okay that's something like the the nature of our uh freedom the soul was created to be governed by a nature and though it has its own I believe uh, will and mind and um, emotions or whatever however you want to define the soul those things are come to be expressive or let me put it in this way they they come to be obedient to and when I say obedient I think of in alignment with, congruent with, in the same way that water is obedient to the cup that it's put in, you know. It, it, not, not, when I, when I think of the word obedient, I don't think of just doing stuff that someone tells me to do. I think of an alignment, a congruency with, with something. You, everyone in the airplane, to some extent, to a great extent, is being obedient to the direction, speed, and location of that airplane, no matter what they do on there, you know? And and that is, friends, that is the nature of our slavery to this thing called sin or Satan, okay? I don't really know exactly how, I mean... It, it seems to me that in most cases, the nature of sin and the nature of Satan could be used uh, uh, synonymously. I, I believe in Satan. I don't. I don't think that Satan is just a personification of sin. Although, um, I, I think there's some kind of being uh, 
involved there. But at the same time, I don't understand all that, and I don't, I don't know that anyone does really. But, but, but I do believe that sin is the expression of his nature, and that the natural man is governed by that nature in their first birth. I believe that the Adamic man and the darkness of the human soul that has been filled with the lie that is the absolute absence of light i believe that that nature governs the human soul and and we and we do make free decisions you know we say i can do whatever i want and yet and yet we never take a step back and wonder to ourselves why we're choosing the things that we're choosing. Why do we want what we want? Why can't we stop wanting these things? Even when the things that we're choosing prove to be, the things that we're choosing prove to be contrary to our own health or to our own uh, good or to our own, you know, or, or prove to be uh, producers of shame and guilt, we still keep choosing the same things. And and very, very rarely, you know, we stand there and we boast and we say, I have free will, I can do whatever I want. But, but, but very few people stop and, 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 and say, wait a minute, why can't I stop wanting this? You know, sure, I'm doing what I want, but who who gave me these wants? You know, who gave me these desires? Yeah, I'm I'm choosing what I freely, spontaneously desire, but I can't seem to change these desires. You know, and that's because we don't understand the nature. Jesus says it like this: Look, anyone who sins, anyone who does or thinks or wants anything anything contrary to the life, nature, and purpose of God, that person is under a government. That person is a slave to sin. That person is a soul operating in obedience to a nature. Okay? And 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 with that in mind, with the reality in mind that the nature of our slavery consists in being governed by a nature... With that coming to be real to us, well, then we can begin to understand this word exodus. Because the, the, the nature of the exodus is freedom from one nature by the gift of another nature. That's what the exodus is all about. It's not just let me out of prison and let me run free. There is no true running free for the Adamic man. There is freedom from sin. There is freedom from Adam. There is freedom from death. There is freedom from Satan. But the freedom from the government of one nature, the liberty, is actually the gift of another nature, another life, Christ, formed in you. Okay? So, the Exodus and this is something we need to just let the Lord deal with our heart about because at no at no point did God bring them out of Egypt and leave them outside of his covenant and government and reign there was there was no third option is what i'm trying to say there wasn't Egypt slaves to to pharaoh slaves to god or option number three, you know, I don't know, whatever. There wasn't. There was just two govern, governments, two obediences. And so, 
we need to understand that we are being right now, this minute, we are being obedient to whatever nature is most real in our hearts. And if that, if where we are without light, where we are not abiding in light, walking in the seed himself and his light, where we are not abiding in him, then we are in darkness and we are governed by a nature. Where we are seeing him, knowing him and walking in his light, there is another... See, see light governs. That's what it... It's hard to explain these things, but but seeing the truth actually makes you free. It, it's not just believing in the truth. It's actually when the light of the truth, the actual appearing of the Lord... The, the the light itself becomes the like your soul acts according to the light that is in it and if the light that is in you is darkness how great is that darkness and everything you do and say and want is is an expression of that darkness but if the light that is in you is Christ then your soul aligns with that government that that kingdom and and begins to be obedient to that king, aligned with it. Not just obedient because you're doing things he tells you to do. Obedient because what he is is constraining you. The nature, the love of Christ constrains you. I long for you, Paul says, with the very bowels of Jesus Christ. You start to see that there's a total different nature working in you. Now, I don't think you can even see the difference between these two natures until you're born again. Um, I don't think, for instance, I don't think you can say with Paul in Romans uh, chapter 7. Let's see here. Let me pull it up here. What does he say? Romans 7, where he says things like... um, uh, In verse 20 here, Now if I do what I do not... What I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And I find that a law, that evil is present with with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inner man, but I see another law at work in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. I don't, I don't think... And and you know, some people say that Paul here is talking about his pre-conversion... Um, Experience, and I don't, I don't see how that could possibly be true personally, because I don't think, first of all, before receiving Christ, you can say that I joyfully, uh, you know, concur with the law. I love the law in my inner man, but nor could you even recognize the difference between these two natures—the nature of Christ that works in the renewed mind here, as he talks about later, and the. the nature of sin that works in the members, you don't even understand that, that difference until you have received the one who is makes the difference. Because prior to being born of his spirit, to receiving his spirit or having that life work in you, you don't even dif- differentiate between yourself and sin. I mean, you, well, maybe you do in some kind of concept in your mind, but you don't, you, you don't, sit there and say look there's sin working within me you know you don't you don't there's not a me that you understand that's different from your desires there's just you does that make sense you can't see the difference between your soul and the nature that is filling your soul until all of a sudden something else appears in your soul and you say wait a minute that's totally different 
than this other thing that desires these other things. You see, I'm, maybe I'm being confusing. But when Christ is in you and begins to be seen, then I believe you can say, oh, that's what I want. And yet there's something else wanting something very different. There's, there's, the kingdom here is not at the level of doing, it's at the level of wanting. The reign, the government of sin and of righteousness, it's not at the level of what I do with my hands, it's at a level of what I am obedient to in my heart, which is what he says back in, uh, um, uh, 6, 7, I think it's, is it 6, 17? Yeah, that, when he talks about the, the obedience from the heart. Alright, at any rate, when a believer starts to experience just even the slightest um, impulses of the nature and light and life of God working from the inner man, which is where he resides, then the believer can say, wait a second, I need to get free from this body of death. And and what is this body of death or what is this experience that the that the unbeliever or that the new believer has that hasn't been growing much in Christ yet? Well, it's it's this experience of a slavery. What kind of slavery? A slavery to a nature that not doesn't just tell me what to do, but makes me want the thing. Makes me want to be and to choose what that nature is. It's a deeper kind of slavery. It's a slavery that totally controls what I do, though not the independent decisions, but the choices themselves are constrained by a nature. That's the kind of slavery. That's what you were born into. That's my point. That's what Egypt represents. It is a slavery where you do, you even like it. You know, you call that land a land flowing with milk and honey. You reminisce about the leeks and onions and garlics in, in, in that land. You actually like it. That's why, have you ever noticed, you know, no one, no one is forced to choose sin. We run headlong into sin because we love it. There's something about it we love. Well, the exact same thing comes to be true when the kingdom of righteousness, the scepter of righteousness begins to work in our soul. You're constrained by another nature. You run headlong into another kind of uh, life and love and giving. and It's a totally different nature. But if we don't start with the understanding that our souls are born tangled up in and, and completely meshed with the nature of sin, sons of the devil... Uh, and that's how Jesus talked to the natural man. He didn't just call a few people sons of the devil. He called Peter, Satan. You know what I mean? Peter, Peter's sitting there and, and he gets, he gets a little bit of light. Here's a perfect example because here's the contrast right, right there. Peter says, Peter has a little bit of the light of the Father working in his heart. He says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus stops him and says, that, that, that totally, that statement, that thing that you're seeing came from the light that comes down from the Father of lights. He, that comes from my Father. And then Peter says, well, that went really well. I'm going to try to say something else here. And then three verses later, he says, there's no reason for you to go to the cross, Jesus. And then this time, Jesus, you know, probably expecting Jesus to turn to him and say the same thing. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. But instead, Jesus this time says, Get behind me, Satan. What, what happened? 
Well, Peter, Peter simply expressed his own natural perspective, his own natural desires, his own what he thought was right and good according to the flesh. It's something that didn't come from the light, the father of lights, you know. And what did Jesus call it? He called it Satan. That's what he called the, the Jews. He says, look, your father is a murderer, that is to say a life taker. He's been that way from the beginning. He's been a life stealer and he's a liar. He's the father of lies. He's, he's not, he, he's the total absence of life and he's the total absence of truth. And guess what? You're the same nature. You're the nature of your father. He says that to them. And, you know, obviously they, they, they don't like that at all, but he, he, Jesus wasn't just trying to come up with an insult. He was simply describing their situation and, and they take offense and, you know, as usual, uh, try to try to attack the one who's offering freedom. But <clears throat> I just really wanted to say, and I and I've kind of gone a long time on this n- issue of nature of slavery. And let me just say one more thing a- a about this slavery, since that's obviously as far as I'm going to get today. I was reading uh, Exodus five, and <clears throat> and uh, I, I I was thinking about the nature of this slavery and I saw this kind of neat comparison uh, I, I, I made reference to it a minute ago but uh, this this comparison between the slavery to sin and the slavery to God slavery to sin is hopeless and fruitless and impossible you can never ever produce you can't produce what sin really wants when you're a slave to sin, because no one's ever satisfied with sin, you know, at the very least, you look for more sinful things, if not, look for somehow to be free from sin, and no no one, you know, God's not satisfied when you're obeying the nature of sin, you're not satisfied when you're obeying the nature of sin, Satan's not even satisfied, I mean, maybe he's like content that you're doing it, but it's not like he's happy, and <laughs> nobody is satisfied when you are obeying when you are, when your soul is conformed to the nature of uh, sin, and and I saw that in this in this description in Exodus five, starting with verse six, I'll just kind of skip around in a little bit in the next five six five, five six verses. It says, "So the same day Pharaoh commanded the, the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves.'" And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it. And then verse 10. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go, get yourselves straw, wherever you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw, and the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. Also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your, ta- your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? And I just see this as such a clear picture of the nature of our slavery in the Adamic man. What's the What's the issue? Well, they don't even have the resources to do the thing that's demanded of them. They, they can, you know, it, it's it's a little bit like uh, um, the, the condition of the natural man under the law. You know, you, you have this requirement, and, and 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 yet the thing that's required 
is not given to you. You're not even given what's necessary to produce what's required. And so, you know, it's kind of like the law says, look within yourself for it. Try to find it yourself. Scatter abroad and, and try to come up with righteousness. Good, good luck, you know. And, and, and yet the quota will not be diminished. You still, the, the requirement is still the same. You know, good luck finding it. I'm not giving you any. And, and that's the exact opposite of grace, by the way, because with grace, God's requirement stays the same. And yet he gives you the thing required. He says, I required, I require righteousness. Here's the son of righteousness. I require life and light and truth. Here's the one who is life and light and truth. Let him be formed in you. But, but that's not under sin and death. You don't have in yourself the, 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 the equipment necessary, the resources necessary to, to, to bear fruit of any kind. And so it's this horrible condition where you're, you're searching within yourself and within your own resources for something that you don't have and trying to, to make it work and yet f- at the same time feeling the consequences of the failure and the condemnation or the beating in, in the case of the Israelites for the, for the failure of not being able to produce that which is required. Now, that is the condition of the natural man. That's not just their natural condition in Egypt. That's your condition in the flesh. You don't have what it takes. And you can waste your whole life looking in yourself, as as Spark says, groping around within yourself for some rag of goodness that you can present to the Lord to please him, and you just don't have it. You don't have it. and uh, And so there's an exodus that must take place. And it's an exodus out of this condition into a totally different kind of slavery. A totally different kind of obedience. And we'll get into that uh, maybe a little bit next time. So I'll stop with that.